This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, for the last seven weeks, the Philadelphia Eagles have put their fan base through the ringer. I mean, let's face it. A historic collapse from a 10-1 start. Um, a, a nightmare, really, losing five of their last six coming into the game. And um, tonight, a nightmare that finally ended. The season is over. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers humiliated the Eagles tonight, 32-9. And with this loss, we may be, as early as tomorrow, seeing a bloody purge. First of all, Nick Sirianni and his coaching staff. Players peeled off of this roster like onion skins. And we may have seen the very end of the careers of three great Eagles, including Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, and Brandon Graham. Because what tonight revealed is that the Eagles may have to start all over again. This is the Pond the Hockey Eagles postgame show live from Ocean Casino. I'm Mike Missinelli with the crew, Mark Farzetta, Bill Colarulo, Seth Joyner. Uh, fellas, just a heartless effort with a defense that missed tackle after tackle with a total lack of will, uh, a feeble offensive attack, of course depleted by the absence of A.J. Brown, but also a total regression and their $258 million quarterback who really looked confused and just totally out of sorts. And we have to question at this point whether he is the guy after all. And I never thought we would get there this quick to make a decision like that with this team and this quarterback. Seth Joyner, I got to go to you first because I, I, I thought surely that they would put forth some kind of an effort in this game. And I thought they had the better roster against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I was way wrong because this team was fragmented and cooked coming into this game. I got fooled as well, Mike. I really did. I really thought that this team would come out and find a way to be inspired against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers team in a situational game like this. Um, I, I'm shocked. But then there's a side of me that's not shocked. And um, I think that this is a total rebuild from top to bottom. Um, it all, it all, it, Nick Sirianni has continued to say that my fingerprints on everything on this roster, if that's the case, then he has to go. And you guys know for the last couple of weeks, I've stated again and again and again and again that I am not one to ever advocate for someone's lost a job but the fact that he's lost this team and people can in the locker room can say whatever they want to say about oh we're playing for nick we believe in nick we got nick's back that's a bunch of bs because as players you don't go out on the field and put that product on the field if you really if you really believe in your coach and his staff okay defensively they were an abomination if nick made the decision to make the change a defensive coordinator it's even more of an indictment that he should lose his job, okay? If he was forced to do it by the people upstairs, 
then they're complicit in everything else that you see. Because defensively, they were just a mess across the board. They looked lost, uninspired, couldn't tackle. How do you get to the professional level and miss as many tackles as they've missed? I think James Bradbury has totaled over 30 missed tackles in one season. How is that even possible? That's a part of the game and part of what you do. The, well, com- the condemnation goes a little further, Mike, before I hand it back mm-hmm. to you, on Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson. You knew that Todd Bowles was going was gonna to blitz you. There were times where I saw they lined up with three down linemen on each side against an empty set. That means that there's only five offensive linemen to block six, yet you didn't have the wherewithal to say, okay, Dallas got it, come back in so you can block one of these guys, or let's go max protect and go two tight ends with the back stand in and just go a two-man route. You just time after time after time after time again, you put Jalen Hurts in a position where he could not succeed, okay? Now, I'm not going to exonerate Jalen at all because he played some of the worst football and looked so uninspired and so out of it on the sideline. You had Dallas talking to him and Devontae talking to him. And listen, he looked like he checked out. And when your quarterback checked out with all the meeting that you do during the week with your offensive coordinator and the head coach and the quarterback coach and everybody else that's involved, if you couldn't get him going, you're not the man for this job. They just paid that man a quarter of a billion dollars. Do you think that if he doesn't want – if he doesn't believe in Nick Sirianni as the head coach, as the guy that can develop him and take him to the next level, do you think he's going to be here much longer? I would say to you, hell no. Gone. Listen, we have suffered through their lack of scheme for the last six weeks or so. This was an, an obvious lack of will, and it was defined by the one touchdown where – Bradford, uh, Bradbury missed the tackle, and then Byard came over with a feeble effort. Like, they didn't even want to be there. And that's the most disappointing and pathetic thing that I take out, uh, out of this tonight. They did not want to compete in this game, Marzi. No, and I'm going to go and concentrate on a word Seth just used, inspired. After the Eagles got through that alleged gauntlet where they were playing all the teams that were, you know, maybe they were going to compete with, like San Francisco, for instance. The Chiefs, they beat the Chiefs, obviously. Uh, and then they obviously wet the bed when they were in Dallas playing against the Cowboys. They then go on and supposedly have an easier schedule, and they just had to make a huge organizational change by changing their defensive play caller. They did not look inspired from that point of the season on. I mean, you could say they didn't look inspired from the San Francisco 49ers on, even though we're just coming off a, a really hard-fought win against the Buffalo Bills in overtime. But to say this team lacked inspiration is probably the biggest indictment on their head coach we already know about lacking creativity as an offensive play caller offensive game plan obviously when it comes to brian johnson as well but they looked uninspired against the seahawks drastically uninspired obviously when they went up against the new york giants barely able to squeak out that with that victory and then completely got blown out of the water against jonathan gannon's arizona cardinals in a game that he challenges you with that onside kick at the end of the game utter embarrassment there then you can't beat the Giants to end the season after supposedly Nick Sirianni is giving some big rah-rah high school Harry pep talk to the locker room before the game and I said after that game that was the performance of a team begging for their head coach to get fired now I didn't see a performance like that until tonight 
I was hoping that the Eagles were going to be able to find that way. I didn't see them being able to do it in this game tonight. I thought there were far too many errors, far too many mistakes with not, a le- not enough time left to correct them. And one of the biggest problems was this entire time, Nick Sirianni, Brian Johnson, and even Matt Patricia were talking about these correctable mistakes that the Eagles were making. Far from correctable, as we found out as this season went on. And when you talk about that word inspired, it is the job of the head coach. If he is not going to come up with some kind of genius game plan, if your offensive coordinator is not going to do a better job of calling plays, and you are putting Matt Patricia in a very tough spot to all of a sudden take command of a defense with four weeks left in the season, as we learned from Hassan Reddick, that's a very difficult thing to do for a defense to then learn new terminology from their new play caller. If a head coach isn't going to overwhelm you with inspiration, then that man's got to get out of here. And I have never seen more of an uninspired effort by this Eagles team to wind down the season than what we had just seen over the last seven weeks of the season. Bill Calarulo, I don't know how you can top what what we just spilled out about this team. But uh, let's start with the head coach because I I happen to agree. And again, you, you don't. You relish calling for somebody's job, but you can't possibly bring him back to preside over what turned out to be a total mess because nobody will buy it. Your players won't buy it. Your fan base won't buy it. And, you know, I feel bad for the guy, but you can't bring him back at this point. I agree with you, and I would have thought that that would have been a complete overreaction two weeks ago. I thought this guy had done enough to earn to come back for another year. But you look at now what we've seen. I I agree. I don't see how you bring this guy back, and it's amazing. 337 days ago, that was the night of Super Bowl 57. (laughs) 337 days. And you think about how close this team was to winning a Super Bowl and how far away it seems now. What looked like such a promising coaching staff and a franchise quarterback and a team that was going to compete year after year, where are we right now? There's so many questions with the coaching staff, the personnel, but to come out in this game when all of us had been saying all week long, establish the run early, win the time of possession battle, keep your defense on the sidelines, your defense isn't that good, so go on long, sustaining drives, and they ran the ball five times in the first half we all knew Todd Bowles was going to blitz the hell out of Jalen Hurts they had zero answer for it again and you look at the defense the fact that they are going to miss that many tackles as far as he talks about an uninspired team I don't see how Jeffrey Lurie watches what we just watched and says yeah I'm going to run it back with this head coach, a head coach who's told us this is his offense. Well, you had no answer for the blitz. You had zero game plan. Your plan every time they blitz was to drop back, run verticals, and just throw the ball up in the air. You didn't establish the run. Your team was uninspired. This was the most embarrassing thing. And then you look at that defense. This is now three weeks in a row that they let offenses put up over 400 yards. And we're not talking about good offenses. You're talking about the 23rd-ranked Tampa Bay Bucks. You're talking about the 30th-ranked New York Giants. You're talking about a middle-of-the-pack Arizona Cardinals offense. Every one of them went over 400 yards. And this rushing defense that was so damn good the first nine games of the season, you just now let nine straight opponents rush for over 100 yards on you Epic collapse may not even be a big enough word to describe what we've witnessed this season. 
And I don't know when this team's going to contend again because there are a ton of questions with this organization. Yeah, and, and you let Baker Mayfield throw for 337 yards, by the way. His rating tonight was 119.8. And, and here's the galling thing about this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers allowed them to stay in the game. In the first half, they had six pass drops. One, it should have been a touchdown to Evans. And so they go into halftime with only a 16-9 lead, giving the Eagles a little bit of hope for some kind of charge in the second half. And, of course, on their first series, with this ratio pass run that Bill was just talking about, uh, with Hurts being blitzed on 18-27 pass plays, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers get him for a safety. Now, I, you know, listen, you got to have a quarterback. you got to have awareness where you are on a football field. And you can't have the ball in your hands when you're going to give up a safety. And they were so unaware tonight of everything around them. That made it 18-9, still in the game. And they followed that up with the double missed tackles with Bradbury and Byard and Trey Palmer with a 56-yard catch and run for a touchdown. I, I, I am just stunned at the a lack of, of competition in this team. I, I just can't understand and it. I, I don't know if this would have changed anything, but we sat up here on the pregame show and we talked about how Slay is back. James Bradbury shouldn't be on the field. Keely Ringo has competed enough. He's shown you enough. James Bradbury shouldn't be on the field. And Seth said it. They're not going to bench James Bradbury because they're paying him too much money. So they rolled him out there again and look at what we just saw. Not saying it would have made a huge difference if Keeley played, but at least you gave yourself an opportunity. We've been watching James Bradbury get beat all season long. And now what are we going to do with this guy? Do you see his cap hit for the next two seasons? It, Nine million? I think this year it would be a dead cap of five, and I think the year after it would be like 12. Okay. Something like that. All right. he, so, he's not going anywhere, yeah, unfortunately. Basically, yeah. You eat it. I would extend him a year, believe it or not, and go five, six, six. Extend it. And then let him walk. Give him his money and let him walk. You know, I, I just yeah. – it's. you talked about Slade being back. Slade wasn't that much better. No, he wasn't. You know, so it's it, – this team is just – is god-awful. Let me ask you that, is, because listen, we, can, we can chart what happened here. So what happened? You can systematically look at this. The San Francisco 49ers just extracted their heart, and, and the Cowboys then piled on. And then you had the panic move with the defensive coordinator. But within a locker room that you've been in for many years, what happens to a team psychologically, uh, uh, mentally, when all this stuff is going on? Because it's obvious the, the, the bottom dropped out of this team. Listen, I, I talked about it last week, about the game is bigger than just the physical aspect of what you do. There's a psychological side. There's an emotional side. There's a physiological side. All of those things come into play here. And it's up to a coach and his staff to be able to manage all of those things, you know. But, you know, to your point, I felt like, you know, San Francisco just snatched their souls out. They haven't been the same since that game. And it's up to Nick Sirianni to figure out a way to get them to, to lead them back. But I think this, this, I think this problem is a lot bigger than, <coughs> excuse me, what meets the eye. I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks, but I see a team that just doesn't believe in the voice of the head coach any longer. When you see Jalen and, and, and A.J. Brown 
going rogue and deciding that they're going to improvise on the most important play of the game. And that comes out. When you, you know, I read an article this morning that talked about Jalen doesn't necessarily like the philosophy, you know, that the team operates under. You know, pushing the ball down the field. You know, he's more for a short to intermediate passing game and a run game to go along with the offense. They've almost been like defiantly, you know, calling plays because I always said, if I can see it with my own two eyes and all I do is watch the game on Sunday and review the film throughout the week, these coaches spend 12 to 15 hour days putting together game plans and, 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 and analyzing the, the analytics and all that other stuff. And you have no answer whatsoever. So I watched a team that's disenchanted with not only the plays that are being called, we, we even heard Jordan Malata talk about it this week. We need to run the football. When the players start telling you as a coaching staff what you need to do and you don't do it, you come out and defiantly run the damn football five times in the first half after you've had success running. He averaged – DeAndre Swift was averaging four yards a carry. Four yards a carry. And they only gave him the ball – five times in the entire first half, okay? So now, as players, when you see the coaches be defiant to the things that you see and you believe can work, now all of a sudden you, you lose faith and belief. The whole Sean Desai, Matt Patricia thing was the worst thing that, that, they, that they could have ever done, and this is why. Half of the locker room was still riding with Sean Desai. The other side couldn't determine whether Sean Desai was the guy or not. And because they saw Matt Patricia, the insurance policy sitting there, they felt like when they made this, this, this move, that that was the move to make, okay? Now, I'll ask you again. I dare you to go and find me some data that shows where Matt Patricia is some kind of defensive guru because all the success that he's had, he's had under the tutelage and under the direction of Bill Belichick. He doesn't develop defenses. He doesn't develop schemes. He does none of that, okay? But he was brought in as an insurance policy just in case Sean Desai didn't work out, cashed in the policy. And all of a sudden now you've got Matt Patricia running Sean Desai's defense and trying to make adjustments to it with all these young players that you're throwing in the mix and ineffective safeties and a lackluster talent at linebacker. What did you expect was going to happen? This defense has been 10 times as bad since Matt Patricia took it over as it was under Sean Desai. So now, who do you point the finger at? Because Nick said, hey, you know what? I decided to make the, make the change. That's a bunch of crap because you want to know something? When they flew back from Seattle, that decision was made on that five-hour flight from Seattle back to Philadelphia. We didn't hear about it until Friday of that week, which leads me to believe, and Nick had gone through all of these press conferences, and people asked him, hey, coach, any coaching change? You see any change that might be made? But Friday, he comes out, oh, we made the change. No, no, no. Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Rosen made that damn change Sunday night when they flew back Sunday night. A Monday night, I should say. It was after the Dallas game. No. And Sean Desai addressed the media on that Wednesday, and they had already made the decision. It was already done, okay? So now, how do you get your players to be inspired when, you're, when that locker room is fractured? And it's not fractured because of players. It's fractured because of a, a decision that you, 
as an organization made, and you broke the defense. You took away their confidence. You took away their motivation and their belief because half the, half the locker room was believing in Sean Desai. The other side was believing in Matt Patricia. And Matt Patricia didn't give them anything more than Sean Desai was giving them. And you wonder why we just watched what we, what we watched the last three weeks. Three mediocre teams took our asses out to the woodshed and beat us like we stole something. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous, but man. As, ridiculous. Bad, as bad as the defense is, as bad as they are, all season they have lacked personnel. I didn't agree with the coaching change either, but I also think they lack personnel. Yeah, but, Bill, you make adjustments for that. I understand that they had issues. I agree with but you. But you make adjustments for that, and they didn't make any adjustments. They kept doing the same. As, as an offensive coordinator, okay, you got five, four game films that you break down every single week. When predictably you can look at a defense and know that this is what they're going to do week after week after week, are you kidding me? You know how easy that is but for the offense? What I'm saying is, is yes, I agree with you on the defensive side of the ball. The offense put up nine freaking points today. This offense, who doesn't lack personnel, who didn't make a change to their coordinator halfway through the season, which they probably should have done, put up nine points today. Had me, zero let, answers let, let, for let me anything you one more time. Let me interrupt you one more time, and I'm going to let you go. As a former defensive player, I don't give a damn what the offense does, okay? You know what my job is? My job is to stop them from scoring points, okay? You let them put 32 up, a team that averages 20 points a game, okay? And, a, and, and, and Baker Mayfield, who managed nine points against the Carolina Panthers last week, as a defensive player, I don't give a damn what the offense does, Okay? Sean Desai, Matt Patricia, and every other lame-ass coach on the defensive side, it's up to them to get those players ready to play and do their job because they can't score any points. But to Bill's point, uh, and you're absolutely right about the defense, Seth, um, the, the offense – My anger's had, not, not – no, Trust me, I get it. I know. The offense had plenty of time to figure out that they weren't going to be with A.J. Brown in this game. Okay, so you've got to figure out some way to pull some offense out of and, and you didn't have much. You had Quez Watkins and Julio Jones. I get it. But so that means you've got to be crafty to, to, to generate some kind of offense other than that. The worst the worst part of this is, is all week. I actually was making jokes saying that, oh, they're going to throw the ball 40 times in the first half because everything's telling them to run the ball. And that's exactly what they did. Like, that's what's so frustrating to me. I have never seen an offensive coaching staff this stubborn. And Nick Sirianni wants to keep telling us this is his offense, then Nick Sirianni needs to go. He needs to go because if this was his answer tonight for an offense that doesn't lack personnel, not making excuses for the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball, but this offense didn't lose anybody last year. They lost Isaac Sayamala. They replaced him with Cam Jurgens, who did play terrible. He tonight. had a horrible game. But they, there is no reason that we saw a decline like we saw from this offense, a decline that you saw from your quarterback, from every single player on that offense played worse this season than they played last season. To me, that is coaching, that is game planning, that is play calling, not absolving the players. But at the end of the day, that is more on the coaching staff for not taking advantage of a strong personnel group well, on the offense side. Well, of who did they lose from last year? They lost Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen, and that, that's it. I mean, this is the guy that turns out to be the most brilliant-looking man in the whole Eagles organization over the last two seasons, including their Super Bowl run from last year. And really, the grand scheme of things for me does come down to coaching. But when you make a change the way they did when it comes to Sean Desai, what you did as an organization, 
was tell your defense, we got to 10-1 and one in spite of you. We were able to carry the horrible job that you guys were doing and how great the offense was, so we're only going to be making this change to the defensive side of the football. And as we were told in the weeks following, and I'll go to Hassan Reddick's most telling press conference, his media session from two weeks ago, the higher-ups made that decision. And although I believe that Nick Sirianni is going to be fired and that the organization needs to make that change, that needs to happen sooner rather than later, probably when they get back into Philadelphia tomorrow, but if you're the organization making that decision, you are taking into account that I think Nick Sirianni fell on the sword for Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and the decision that they made as the quote-unquote higher-ups, as Hassan Reddick pointed out Listen, last week. They have, to, they have to make this departure. They have to, okay? There is no other choice. I agree. They, they, they have to sever ties, and this is why. This is the first thing. I'm looking at Jason Kelsey walking off the field. He's done. You could just tell by his body language. He's not coming back to this. Hugging Stoutland, yeah. He's not coming back to this, okay? So you're going to probably lose one of the best, the best offensive linemen, one of the best offensive linemen this franchise has ever seen, where he might consider playing another year if Hope was there, okay? So he's gone. Dallas Goddard's got two more years left on his contract Nick Sirianni comes back I wouldn't want to play here for Nick he, Sirianni but, but to, he wasn't the same player when he came back from injury what are you talking about Dallas, Dallas Goddard, Goddard. He, they don't throw him the ball what are you talking about Mike a little bit timid tonight even he hasn't been the same Listen, player since he came back they the don't run routes that enhances what he does best all of these little three-yard routes that you're running with him when you say Jason Kelsey running I mean Travis Kelsey running up the field running option routes against man when you see Kittles running seam routes and catch when was the last time you seen Dallas got to catch a ball at the seam yeah. teams play cover two against us yeah have no, you I, seen him I, I agree with you I'm just I'm if I'm Devontae Smith you think I want to come back here <laughs> well he, if yeah. I'm if, if 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 I'm if I'm DeAndre Swift do you think I want to come back here and get 12 12 carries a game hell no no and you want to know something else you can't bring him back because all the other free agents, okay, the Eagles are going to have around 45 to $50 million in cap space. Please tell me, what free agent wants to come here watching this, yeah, I almost cussed, this, this, <laughs> this show? Who wants to see, who, who wants to come play here? Well, if you get it a different used, head coach. No, it used to be a destination. Players wanted to come here. After watching this collapse, after watching this coach, decimate this football team over the last six, seven weeks? If I'm a free agent, I want no parts of this team. None. Let's look at the uh, the owner who uh, you, you saw the stone face uh, from from watching the game from, from the booth next to his wife, and then you saw Howie Roseman putting stuff in a bag to try to get out of Dodge. We, you know, we have to, have to take a critical look. You know, early in the season, they were 10-1, and, and, and Howie Roseman was getting all these plaudits. Now we see what we have with the owner and a general manager that has to rebuild this whole thing because of this collapse. How much faith do we have in that? I have more confidence in Howie Roseman than I do Jeffrey Lurie. I mean, I think Howie Roseman uh, over the last six years has done a decent job making sure this team stayed competitive. This is a horrendous example of that, and that's not a fun thing to say 
right now, but I do believe that Jeffrey Lurie is putting his fingerprints on more of uh, game plan uh, personnel decisions than he should as an owner. I love the fact that he'll sign big, fat checks to players. That's a great thing for an owner. But when it comes to actually trying to get involved in meddling in game day and football operations, that is a huge no-no for any owner. And it's, it's one thing, you want the owner to sign those checks and all that. You never want to look at your head coach as if he is an employee. You always want to look at your head coach as if he is a boss. Like he is a guy making big decisions, tough decisions, motivating players and all that. And Nick Sirianni has certainly not looked like that over the last seven weeks here. And as you get uh, continue to hear these reports coming out that Jeffrey Lurie is more involved than he has ever been when it's come to game day operations, when it comes to personnel, when it comes to that meddling owner that nobody really likes, that is the most horrifying thing. So we can talk about Nick Sirianni, and that's most likely the thing that's going to happen. Howie Roseman isn't losing his job. Jeffrey Lurie isn't selling the team tomorrow. But the most obvious thing that is going to happen is probably the easiest thing for this team to do of the tough decisions they have to make, which is move on from this really entire coaching staff with maybe the exception of Jeff Stoutland. Farzee, you can't separate Jeffrey Lurie and Harry Roseman. You can't. You can't. Because as good a job as we want to say that he's done, let's look at the lackluster job that he's done on the defensive side of the ball. Sure. You can't keep going to get undrafted free agents and keep bringing in special teams linebackers and converting safety to linebackers and hoping that you can make that transition. A philosophy of the okay? last 20 years. This, this, is, this is how they've operated, mm-hmm. okay? You can't continue to ignore the safety position. Beyond Malcolm Jenkins, name me another safety that the Eagles have had that's been worth a damn since B-Dog. Name me one. I mean, CD Deuce had a good year last year. And who's been here Who's been here the entire time? Listen, don't talk to me about Blankenship. Don't talk to me about Blankenship. A, he can't stay healthy. He's been beat up all season long. He's a pass-catching liability, and the aggression that he played with that got him the starting job last year has disappeared. Do not talk to me about Reed Blankenship, okay? Talk to me about some players that they develop. And their biggest problem is they keep going to get these puppet coaches that bring in coaches who have no experience of being able to coach positions, okay? So when you draft players, you have to have somebody that's in position that can help you develop their skill set. When you got a guy that's, that's never played football before or sparingly played before, and you put him in position because he's come up through the ranks from, from quality control, okay, to a position coach, but he has no toolbox that allows him to give tools to his players to get better week in and week out, year in and year out, that's coaching malfeasance, man. Do you understand what I'm saying? The game is so much more about more than just X's and O's. And then the other, at the other end of the spectrum, how much is the, is the analytics department really running this organization? Mm. How much more power do they have than Nick Sirianni and his offensive and defensive coordinator? This stinks. This looks a whole lot Doug, like Doug Peterson all over again at the very end. Nick Sirianni probably got sick and tired of them telling him what the hell to do, okay, and decide to give them everything that they wanted. You want big shots down the field, we'll give you big shots. You want passive-ass defense, we'll give you passive-ass defense. Look where it's gotten us. To say nothing of the Shaq Leonard, Kevin Byard, Bradley Roby acquisitions, <laughs> which also lay on, on Howie Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have faith that Howie Roseman can build this defense. I don't think he can build this defense at all. We talked about it on this show a couple weeks ago. I went through all the guys that he's drafted on the defensive side of the football. He swing and misses on everybody. 
He can draft D tackles. We'll give him that. Jalen Carter looks good. Milton Williams made some nice plays. Is Jordan Davis a good player? We still don't know. We, he had an up-and-down year. Some people think he's going to be a first-round bust. Outside of D tackle, you look at that defense, maybe he got lucky with this rookie class. It's still yet to be determined. But you go back to his last four or five drafts, there's nobody that he's drafted that is contributing to this defense outside of the D tackle position. They missed on all their edge rushers. They missed on their linebackers. They tried to piecemeal this with guys that nobody else wanted. Seth mentioned it earlier that you, teams don't just let starters walk. There's a reason why Mike Tomlin said, you want Terrell Edmonds after he started here for five years on a one-year deal? Take him. What happened? He's not even on the team anymore. Justin Evans. You want Justin Evans? He's been on IR his entire career. Where was he tonight? On IR. You want Shaq Leonard? Did he even play tonight? Did Shaq Leonard even get any snaps? If he did, he didn't make an impact. Titans said, you want Kevin Byard? Here, take him. How did he look tonight? So this is on Howie Roseman because he can't draft. And to Seth's point, they can't develop young talent. So they went and they tried to get guys that nobody else wanted. Zach Cunningham's another one. Nick Morrow's another one. Chicago said, you want Nick Morrow who started here and led our team in tackles? Take him. We're going to upgrade to your linebacker from last year, a guy you actually did develop in T.J. Edwards, and they let him walk. So I don't have faith that Howie Roseman can build this defense because I don't think he's proven to us that he can. He got lucky a couple years. In 2017, when they won the Super Bowl, every one of his one-year deals hit. Chris Long hit. Nigel Bradham hit. Who else did he bring in that year on the defense side of the ball? There was the, uh, the corner that he brought in that had the touchdown. Patrick, Patrick Robinson, did he have the touchdown against the Vikings? Yes. He, uh, yeah, in the NFC Championship game. So there was all these... All these one-year deals that hit, but they cannot develop young talent on defense. And I'm worried about this rookie class. And to punctuate that point that Bill so eloquently pointed out and that I talked about earlier, name me a young player that the Eagles have developed. The problem is when you don't have coaches that can develop young players, you draft these players and they never get to where, you know, they never get to where they can be really productive. If you stop and look at it, look at all the free agents, Bill, that the Eagles have brought in over the years. Even the top-notch players, okay? You go and you get Devontae, Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith didn't need no development. You want to know why he was developed at Alabama, okay? Jalen Carter didn't need to be developed. He was developed at Georgia. Jordan Davis developed at Georgia. At, at, at Georgia. So tell me, what players do you see that the, that the Eagles actually develop. You know what they do? They go out in free agency, and they go out and acquire guys that already come here with the skill set because they don't have the coaches that possess the ability to develop skill sets, okay? And then they have a little bit of run, or, or the guy leaves in free agency, and then they're stuck all over again having to go out and find players to come in and plug in. You know, you got two linebackers that are special teams players. All of a sudden, you're going to make them starters? And you don't have a linebackers coach who can teach them even how to read plays and, or where they fit in the four- or five-man front? Like, I can take a 12-year-old and stand them there and say, okay, if they run this way against this front, this is your gap. If they run that way, that's your gap. And you want to know something? I've had 12-year-olds that play it to the T. But we got grown men playing in the National Football League that don't have a clue where the hell they fit on the damn run play for 18 games. Not just one game, not just one game on and off or a great game here or there. 
18 freaking games. They don't even know where the hell they fit. All right. Uh, I'm going I'm to save this question for a little later in the show uh, as it involves perhaps a new head coach and connecting the dots with Jeffrey Lurie, a man from New England. But right now it is time to bring in uh, our pal Gary Kane. If you're looking to hire right now in the IT, engineering, manufacturing, or technology fields, contact Gary Kane, his team at Kane Partner Staffing Solutions, and here's how you can connect. Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The perfect pair. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. It is the Pond the Hockey Eagles postgame show. 
And unfortunately, it's the last postgame show because the Eagles get hammered tonight. I, I, I could never have guessed that they would lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first round of a playoff game. 32-9. to A team that we feared was dismantled. But somehow... In the playoffs, we had this newfound hope that maybe they could catch some lightning in a bottle, at least win one game before they went to the second game and lost to a better team. But they just flat out were a disintegrated NFL football team. They showed it tonight. They, they just were, came apart at the seams. And we don't know where they go from here, except for the fact that I suspect you, know, you fans of Game of Thrones, a red wedding could happen as much as tomorrow with a coaching staff being completely gutted. And then you have to think about the players, that, that who's going to be back and who's going to leave and what their plan of attack is. Do they have to start over? Uh, and there's a lot to unpack right here. So let's bring in a man who's good at unpacking. And, and he was with us uh, for most of the year here on the Pond La Hockey Eagles postgame show. We love to bring him in tonight, although the circumstances we bring him in are pretty bleak. The great Derek Gunn joins us. The Gunn, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. 32-9 to nine and just, just a really it was pathetic to watch the effort that this team did not put forth tonight. You know, it's funny. Um, for weeks we listen to this team every week talk about how we're going to get this right. It's going to take... You know, it's not going to take much. We know what we need to do, so on and so forth. But you could tell right from that opening Tampa Bay series, this team was dead in the water. They showed the same lack of enthusiasm, the same lack of energy that they showed against both Arizona and the Giants. And lo and behold, even without A.J. Brown, this team still had enough talent to not allow a team like Tampa Bay to score 32 points on them. But what did it boil down to? Atrocious tackling. Uh, mental mistakes and play calling again in short yardage situations instead of crossing routes to pick up a first down they're going for the home run ball again when was the last time you watched an Eagles game where they were 0 for the entire game in third down conversions I mean think about that alone the last time an Eagles team was 0 for the night in third down conversions they never deviated from the norm now, they knew Todd Bowles was going to blitz. After watching what Wink Martindale did to this team just a week ago, and Tampa Bay having the third most blitzing defense in the entire National Football League, you mean to tell me you couldn't prepare better than you did for them blitzing you? And you stood back there, and they made Jalen force the issue time and time again. And even when Julio went down, you're still trying to connect on the deep ball. What about the underneath crossing routes? I'm not talking about the hitch passes, the swing passes. The field, the middle of the field at time was wide open, and they did not look, Jalen did not look over the middle of the field. And I think one of the most telling tales of the game was twofold. First of all, in that fourth quarter, when the Eagles had a chance to get within striking distance, they had two bonehead mistakes in back-to-back -back plays. They had an eligible man downfield. Then they had a holding on Malata. And then they still got within striking distance. And I have no problem going them going for it on the fourth and five. But why would you go to the lob to the end zone? All you needed was five yards. And you saw from the broadcast, if Goddard had cut his route off over the middle, that's one of the easiest first down pickups. And who knows? They could have scored, changed the momentum of the game. But they played right into Tampa's hands, just as they did in Dallas, just as they did against Arizona, just as they did against the Giants, and again tonight against Tampa Bay. Uh, Gunner, I know you have a, a tendency to reach out to some of these players in the locker room and uh, yes. kind of get a vibe. Yes. Has has that opportunity presented itself? Have you heard from anybody in the Eagles locker room yet? Yes, but I, I, I'm not I'm not going to go in there uh, right now, Mark, because you know how stuff blows up. 
Um, you know, I'm just going to let, how do you say, sleeping dogs lie. Mm. Um, but, but this has been coming for quite some time. You know, and anybody who thinks anything differently has not been watching this team over the last six weeks. Yes, there are some internal problems on this team. And I'm sure some of these stories will come out eventually as we get away from this season. But right now the topic is uh, a little bit too hot uh, okay. to go into details without giving away something that people have told me, and I don't want to go there right now. Okay, but I love uh, you, brother. You know that. <laughs> Fair enough. Back at you. Uh, but let me ask you this then. Um, yeah. Aside from mood of the locker room and all that stuff, as a man who is plugged in as you are, who do you believe made the decision to move on from Sean Desai and hit that panic button with just four weeks left in the season? I think that came from upstairs. I honestly do. Um, I think there was a collaboration of Howie and Jeffrey. I do. And basically, Nick Sirianni was told, here's what we're going to do. Now, I'm not, I don't know that for a fact. I'm just giving you my speculation in terms of what I know about this organization. Um, you know, Nick Sirianni can be loyal to a fault sometimes, as Doug Peterson was with his coaching staff. Um, but, you know, sometimes people up top have a better idea. And you sh we should have been able to see this coming right when it was announced that Matt Patricia was going to be an assistant way back in the spring. <clears throat> we should have seen this coming, some type of interference. I don't think it was fair that Sean Desai was a scapegoat in all this mess because as we witnessed, Matt Patricia couldn't fix the problem. As a matter of fact, it got worse instead of better against lesser opponents. You know, you look at the gauntlet that Sean Desai's defense ran through, and that's a pretty tough gauntlet. And, of course, you look at the gauntlet that Matt Patricia's defense ran through, should have won those games, plain and simple. <coughs> Had they won one of those games, they would have won a division and been playing at home against the likes of Tampa Bay instead of having going down to Tampa Bay and getting embarrassed. Not sure that would have mattered, though, Gunner, with this team, the way they've been playing. But, look, we're talking about the coaches. Obviously, a lot of people want changes to the head coach, to the offensive coordinator. But I don't want to absolve Jalen Hurts. We saw Jalen Hurts tonight make some really bad decisions. Granted, the play calling was terrible. The game planning was terrible. But there were times where it looked like there were receivers open. There were times where it looked like he could step up in the pocket, but he immediately exits the pocket. Yeah. Did you see Jalen Hurts take a huge step back this season? No. What I saw Jalen Hurts do is play consist inconsistent like he has over the last month of the season. And for a person who spends as much time in the film room, as much time going over these things with a quarterback coach, a head coach, and an offensive coordinator, the fact that he didn't get any better over the last month of the season is atrocious. And it has to start with the quarterback. You should be able to look at your deficiencies and find a way to make them an asset instead of a liability. But yet, as, as Seth will tell you, Word gets around the league real quick in terms of what you can do and cannot do against certain teams. And you look at how Arizona played him, look at how the Giants played him, and he played right into the hands. No adjustment routes, no crossing routes, always going for the home run. That's his M.O. this season. And for whatever reason, the coaches cannot get it in his head that this is what you need to do to get better, to become more unpredictable. Jalen played his game. The same game he played in 2022 is the same game they just didn't work in 2023 because coaches had more film on him and what his tendencies are in this offense. D-Gun, do you ascribe that to Jalen? Or is that something, you know, where, listen, if he spends as much time preparing as everyone says he does, 
okay? And the coaches are giving him the adjustments that's necessary for him to have success. I'm just like miffed, you know, that he's the problem. You know, I, I kind of get the sense that it's like, you know, okay, you know they're coming with zero blitz. Instead of you checking and having the damn tight end to come back in and help or go, go 12 personnel and, and, and give me an eight-man situation and send two guys out on a route and let somebody win one-on-one, instead of doing that, you ask me to make the, ma- the last guy miss. Now, my finger's already broke. Guys are coming in swatting in my hand that I throw the ball with, and you still want me to play that way? Is it really Jalen? Or is this an adjustment that the Eagles are just so damn stubborn that they won't make, that they're just going to take shot plays every single time that they read blitz instead of having a crossing route with the middle of the field, wide-ass open instead of hitting somebody on a slant, running away from a defender? Seth, if what we've been hearing is true over the past several weeks, that Jalen changes a lot of plays at the line of scrimmage, then that's on the quarterback because he's been around the block long enough to be able to look across that line of scrimmage and see what's coming. How does he not know, and everybody on the planet who watches football know, that Todd Bowles is coming after him tonight? What do you do? You make the adjustment. What's the best way, Seth, to beat the blitz? Shorten your routes, right? Get the ball out of your hands quick as possible, shorten your routes. What did Jalen Hurts do? Holds on to the ball too long once again and takes unnecessary shots, and his defenders or his receivers can't get open. <clears throat> when you're minus A.J. Brown and then Julio Jones goes out of the game as well, I don't care who you have on the field. <clears throat> the way Tampa was playing you, especially giving you in the middle of the field, you could have chewed them up over the middle, and you didn't. Why? The coaches can only give you so much. They give you the information, Seth. It's on the players to execute. Jalen is a smart young man, but at times Jalen can be a stubborn young man as well. And I think his stubbornness gets in the way of an excellent of a of a guy who could be a little bit more excellent than he has been. Well, doesn't isn't it the coach that has the last say? Like, if I'm the offensive coordinator and I send a play in, okay, I got to 15 seconds before the communication is cut off. Okay, whatever the play is, run it, Jalen. Don't check it. I mean, don't he have? Doesn't the offensive coordinator or the head coach have the ability to tell him to do that? Where's the adjustment? Because, you know, we're not talking about them. We're not talking about Jalen not making adjustment against the Blitz just for one game. This has been the M.O. ever since the San Francisco game. So now you tell me you spend all of this time, the last guy in the last first guy in the building, last guy out. We know the coaches are there 12 to 15 hours every day. You mean to tell me that between the coaches, you got a head coach who's an offensive guru. You got an offensive coordinator, a quarterback coach. You know, all these people that they got surrounding Jalen and no one can help him come up with a remedy for the blitz. Come on, man. Come on. Come on, D. It's, it's a lot bigger than that. And if he ain't listening, okay. if he ain't listening, yeah. then maybe you need to just sit his ass down and get until he's willing to listen. Seth, as I told Farzee, there's a lot more internal things going on here that I can't get into. I honestly just cannot get into. And like I said, eventually maybe some things will come out. But <laughs> hey, I'm D-Gun. not saying. D-Gun. What? I know. What? I know. Okay. Go ahead. I, I know. I can't, I, can't, I can't be the one 
<clears throat> to, to, to reveal that information. I just can't. Seth um, Joyner uh, is going to uh, be the defensive coordinator no, next year. No, Say it. That Say that, that, Gunner. That, that ain't it. I know the same internal stuff that you're talking about, D-Gun. I know, too. But I ain't going to throw the person who told me under the no, bus. No, no, no. Can't do that. Can't do that at all. Um, you know, uh, because what happens, Seth, if you reveal too much information, you're not going to be on the inside anymore. You'll be on the outside looking in. Well, I'm on so the outside. They're, they're, the way I'm cooking, the way I'm cooking tonight, I don't ever plan on being on the damn inside. Cause I'm just gonna tell the truth. It is what it is. I, it, listen, whatever they want to do, go ahead and do it. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm protecting my people. You understand what I'm saying? I don't give a damn about what's yeah. going on over there. Right. You know, right. that's not my job to worry yeah. about what's going on over there. Well, see, Seth, I like my vantage point sometimes. I like being on the inside looking out. I get you. But unfortunately, but unfortunately, being on the inside looking out means that a lot of times you have to go into the, the, the silent mode. You have to go into the witness protection mode because if you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, you can very easily be on the outside looking in. And for the 26-plus years I've covered this team, I've been on the inside looking out. Now, there are certain things that I can talk about when given a green light, Right now is not that time, though. Uh, Derek, let me, let me ask you this because I wanted to bring everybody in on this anyway. Um, I can't imagine that the brass would retain Sirianni at this point. So there's, there's a major name that's out there. Now, in, my, in my, my fiber of my bones, I wouldn't think that Jeffrey Lurie and Howie <laughs> Roseman would go to Bill Belichick. But these are now desperate times, like the shiny new toy right. to discover the young guy. Is it right. possible that they think about that? Uh, yeah, I think, Mike, basically because of the way they lost this game was um, also a, a mirror image of how they closed out this entire season over the last seven games. Going into this game, I was of the mind that there's no way Nick Sirianni gets fired if this team put up a fight if it was a close game. But after watching the way this team went about its business tonight, I think everything's on the table now. When you look at the wealth of coaches out there available, Belichick, Pete Carroll, Mike Vrabel, um, and a, whole, a host of other names, you know, it's, it, it's, it comes to a point for Jeffrey Lurie where you have to sit back and really think, is, is, is what I have what I want going to, into the future or is there a better option out there? I mean, it's, it's not often you hear of a coach in his first three years that go to the playoffs and in his second year get to the Super Bowl and we're sitting here talking about him being replaced. But lo and behold, such is the case. I don't think it would have been a discussion if the, if the talent pool of availability out there was not as vast as it is right now. I will tell you this, there will be a host of coaching changes after, this, after what tonight's debacle looked like. There will be a lot of position changes and you know, coordinating changes as well. Those, those are coming. Those are inevitable. But in terms of the head coach, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie, and yes, even Big Dom, they will sit behind closed doors. They will analyze everything and come to a uh, conclusion. If Nick Sirianni moving forward with a different co different coaching staff um, under his wing is what they want, or should they go in a completely different uh, different direction? Again, with the onus of being, when was the last time you heard of a, a coach going to the playoff three years in a row, getting fired? Heck, Mike Tomlin has been the same coach in Pittsburgh for 17 years. <clears throat> never had a losing season, he's still coaching. It doesn't happen. You want to, <clears throat> you don't want an Aberflus in here. You don't want an Adam Gase in here, a Josh McDaniels in here, a, Brian, a Brandon Staley. 
But because of this this vast pool of talent they have available, everything's on the table right now. Well, Gutter, is it possible then? Because I mean, you should look forward if you're going to have a new head coach. If you're going to have a change, you want to be optimistic about it. You want to have someone you can look forward to. But unless anything changes with Jeffrey Lurie and the way he likes to apparently meddle in things now, and Howie Roseman the way he has always been in the analytic department, and uh, Jeffrey Lurie banging the drum for the analytic department. What do we have to look forward to if there is a coaching change? We're, forget about the coach for a second. Will there be a philosophical change amongst the Eagles to help them get back to the competitive nation we saw them last year and the beginning of this year? If there is a coaching change, Mark, you have to have somewhat of a philosophical change as well. I mean, look at look at the change they made when they allowed a college coach like Chip Kelly to come in here and run his offense after 14 years of Andy Reid. Okay. So if you bring in a Belichick, there's an organizational change. A Pete Carroll, there's an organizational change. You want to tap into what made those guys successful where they were. So, yes, Jeffrey Lurie knows that if he brings somebody like that in, he's also going to have to change their approach to football. Howie Roseman is going to have to change his approach to how they scout and draft football players. Not giving up their their culture motif, (coughs) they still want to go after players that are high quality, high caliber players who don't get into a lot of trouble. I understand the Jalen Carter situation was an exception to the rule, but they're still going to go after high caliber players through the draft and free agency, but it'll be a different type of player if they bring in the likes of a Belichick or Pete Carroll. d you talk about a philosophical change. <clears throat> Jeffrey Lurie doesn't hire defensive coaches and he doesn't hire retreads. You look at the last few coaches yeah. he's hired – Doug Peterson wasn't a retread offensive coach. Nick Sirianni, not a retread offensive coach. Chip Kelly, offensive coach. Andy Reid, offensive coach. He takes pride in finding the person that nobody else was thinking about. So do you really think that they would make a big philosophical change and not only hire a retread, but a defensive coach that's a retread? Jeffrey Lurie has one Super Bowl trophy in all of his tenure with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jeffrey Lurie came within three points with basically the same offense and a vast different nucleus of defensive players, but came came within three points of winning the Super Bowl a year ago. Jeffrey Lurie wants another Super Bowl trophy. And to get that trophy, what do you start with? You've got to change the way this defense plays football. Think about this, Bill. All the way from the draft through training camp through the early part of the season, we raved about the Jalen Carters, the Jordan Davis, Hassan Reddicks. Down the stretch, where were those three players? Now, I'm not saying they're bad players. I'm just saying the message that was being given to them kind of faded. So <clears throat> you got to bring somebody in here. Maybe he has to deviate from the norm. He's found the offensive coaches. Maybe it's time to deviate from the norm and bring in a definitive defensive mind and let that defensive mind bring in an offensive-minded coach. Maybe that's the route you go now, because as we watch through 18 games this season, this potent offense with an inferior defense is not going to work moving forward. Maybe it's time to flip the script, make the defense a little bit more potent with the same nucleus of offensive players, and let's see what happens then. Degon, when I talk about a philosophical change, I'm talking about how they play football, not necessarily. I don't care what the coaching staff looks like. I don't want to see another Vic Fangio um, disciple, another branch off that tree, or even a leaf off that damn tree. 
okay? Right. I want to see a guy like maybe Rex Ryan come in here and turn up the heat. I want to see a guy like, you know, Wink Martindale come in here, and even if he tampers it down just a little bit, a guy that, you right. know, comes in and plays a little more aggressive with a staff yes. that will yes. come along with him with the ability to teach, develop, groom, and bring – it don't yep. take a rocket scientist – to realize the last time you played against this team, and it's the same football team, okay? Yep. We rushed for 201 yards against this football team, this same defense, okay? It's not a different defense. It's the same defense. And we got off to a good start with, yes. with Swift running the football. And then they got greedy again and went back to the same thing. Oh, we're going to throw the ball all over the map. It hasn't worked for this organization all season <clears> long. <throat> Because invariably what happens is you get to a point where the defense has the book on you. Just like Joe, uh, Nick Bosa said, we got the blueprint. Okay, Now, they didn't have to blitz us like crazy in right, order to right. develop that blueprint because they got one of the most dominant defensive fronts in all of football. But they showed everybody else that if you can control the run and, and, and because this team wants to throw the ball, you know, three to one, but if you can control the run and force them to put the ball in the air and get them right. behind the sticks on first and second down, now you can blitz because they don't have an answer for it. So the philosophical change has to happen not only on the defensive side of the ball and how you believe and how you think defensive football should be played, but it needs to be a shift in how you think offensive football is played as well. And if they don't do that, this team is going to be mired in the muck again for the next I don't know how many years because this brand of football and how they view the way the game should be played doesn't work. They got away with it last year. It caught up with their asses this year. I was just going to say in 2022, Seth, the same type of offense they're playing, going for the big shots, was near flawless for this team. Why? Because they played more dominant football, 70 sacks. The top of the category just about everything under a guy named Jonathan Gannon, okay? You look at what they've had as defensive coordinators over the last two seasons. Three defensive coordinators in the past two seasons. Gannon, Desai, Patricia. All three of them. Soft coverage on the outside. Four-man rush. Very seldom blitz. Every now and then you might up the ante a little bit. When you look at a Todd Bowles defense, when you look at a Wink Martindale defense, you know they're coming after you the entire game and their cornerbacks are going to be playing up close. <clears throat> That's the philosophical difference I'm talking about, Seth. If a Wink Martindale comes in here, you're not going to tell him what you want from a defense. He's going to tell you how he runs this defense. Maybe the Eagles have too many yes-men as coaches. You need to have somebody who comes in here and tells you how it should be done instead of you having suggestions on how it should be done. D-Gun, we missed you, man. And, uh, of course, Derek uh, was a regular member uh, of this panel, and, and his wife, unfortunately, had some serious health problems, and his responsibility was to be with her at home. Our, our thoughts and support are always with you, my man, and uh, hopefully we, we see you again down the road. D-Gun, really I'm doing it. what you love to do tomorrow. What's that? I'm, I'm going fishing, brother. <laughs> Where? Where just you like, going? Just like them eagles. They're going fishing. <laughs> Season over. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going back to Arizona to go fishing? It's too cold to go here. Man, listen, I'm, I'm, I got a trip to Cabo next week in the next couple oh. of weeks, and I'm going. Oh. I'm gonna do some deep sea fishing. I'll send you some red snapper. I have them flash freezing and send it to you, brother. <laughs> please, please, I love red snapper, dude. Please, please. D Gun, thank you so much, man.
uh, and, and right, we'll guys, catch you down care. the road. All right, buddy. All right. Thank you. Of course, uh, D. Gunn uh, joining us on the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show. Uh, that segment presented by First Trust Bank, the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. John McMullen, who covered the game, uh, is going to be with us in a little bit. And, of course, our next se- segment, Kayla Santiago joins us with Kayla's Diamond Debate. And I'm out, Mike. This is it for Bill me. Bill Calarulo, you've been a, a, a valuable addition, my brother. So it was a pleasure to work with you guys. I wish it was longer. Be careful. I wish it didn't end like this. It's but nasty out there. Okay? I will talk to you guys soon. All hopefully. Right, Bill Colorado, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show live from Ocean Casino, and we're back after this. Welcome to Pond Lee Hockey, the largest workers' compensation law firm in Pennsylvania. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured and disabled workers obtain benefits, as well as some of the biggest settlements in the state. Even better, Pondley Hockey doesn't charge a dime until you win. If you've been injured at work, give Pondley Hockey a call. My name's Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you're having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Rafferty Subaru has partnered with So Good Now during the 2023 Subaru Share the Love event. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. So Good Now helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you. Go for the beers, go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the scene, go for the screens. Go for the gallery, go for the win. Go to Ocean. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. Welcome back to the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show live at Ocean Casino where it, it, it ended with a thud. At tonight, and I still can't believe the final score was 32-9 as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would beat the Philadelphia Eagles, who started this year so brilliantly and just had it completely collapse 
Uh, it is now time. It's Kayla Santiago joins us for Kayla's Diamond Debate. Kayla, um, I know uh, we can talk about some jewels. There were no jewels in the game tonight for the Eagles. Uh, but uh, what, what are we talking about here with uh, as far as uh, – be uh, the, the uh, uh, Mark's Jewelers. Yeah, well, Mark's Diamond Jewelers, they always have us covered, have fantastic pearls, bracelets, earrings, anything that you can imagine. And now that Eagles fans, you'll have some free time, unfortunately. Make sure you go to Mark's Diamond Jewelers today. They have everything you need and more, especially early in the new year. Now, this is a tough thing to debate because I think right now for our Diamond debate that we put on Twitter, make sure you go vote if you haven't already. It's kind of obvious at this point. You look at the coaching staff as a whole and you say, okay, who could go? Defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, Nick Sirianni. I personally think they clean the house. But, Seth, I'm going to go to you first for this. Is there any chance they get rid of everybody, including Howie Roseman? Do you think that anything can happen at this point, or do you really think that front office is going to stay intact here? Oh, Howie's not going anywhere. Howie's not going anywhere. The Those who run the um, analytics department isn't going anywhere. They've been here 12 plus years through, you know, three three different coaches or two or three different coaches. So they're not going anywhere. You know, it, the only person that I can see if he wants to stay stand is Jeff Stoutman. Mm. Everybody else is dispensable, in my opinion. They're 100 percent dispensable. For you guys, Mark, I'll go to you. Do you see any chance of Nick Sirianni possibly staying and then bringing in a good offensive coordinator? And we talked about it. You guys talked about it a little bit, too. You said, okay, well, if it's a competitive game, possibly you keep Nick Sirianni. Yeah. But at this point, they just got embarrassed in primetime. Again. 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 And it was just a capstone on what was a horrible collapse for this Philadelphia Eagles football team. There is no excuse. People are talking about, you know, there's a lot of tough decisions for Jeffrey Lowry to be making. This is an easy decision. The team is begging you to fire their head coach. The way they played after week 18 against the Giants told you that. The way they ended the season, obviously, in total told you that. And the way they played tonight told you that. There was supposed to be this rah-rah speech in the locker room for this team. You didn't see any of that. I, give, I, I will give credit to one guy we haven't shouted out enough so far in the postgame show, and that's just Devontae Smith. Devontae mm -hmm. Smith yeah. showed me something. Tonight. He wanted to go out there and play ball. No A.J. Brown, his opportunity to step up and play. You're down in this game, his opportunity to step up and play. He brought it every single time he was out there in the field tonight. I give him a lot of credit. It's the lone bright spot, really. But everything else is going to get changed for this Eagles team. Jalen Hurts isn't going anywhere. Howie Roseman isn't going anywhere. Jeffrey Lurie obviously isn't going anywhere. Nick Sirianni will not be coaching this football team next year. And oh, I know one, one, one more guy. They can keep Michael Clough. They, there you my, go. Oh, there you, know you go. That's they, a good. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
But <laughs> they turned, if all the guys are turning around, I did not expect him to do it. That's for sure. And I know you guys were talking about possibly who could be a head coach to bring in. And I heard Degon say, listen, they might not like a defensive guy like Bill Belichick, but at the end of the day, Jeffrey Lurie wants to win another Super Bowl ring. Mike, I'm going to go to you. It's clear that they want Jalen Hurts to be their guy. Is there any coach out there? You look at Belichick, you look at Carroll, you look at Jim Harbaugh, even any coach out there right now that you say needs to be in this system for a guy like Jalen Hurts? Because clearly if he doesn't have a good coach, he's not going to play up to par. I mean, I don't know what innovative offensive coaches are out there, mm -hmm. Kayla, and, and that's what it would, would take unless they're, uh, they would eye some offensive coordinator who, uh, you know, who – who's rolling and is the hot name, which they usually do, hire a hot name. Um, I, if it were me, I, I, would, I would change my philosophy. I mean, this you know, trying these novice coaches because you see something special in them that nobody else sees, I think you've got to abandon that now. Uh, and this, this was such a meltdown that I, I would go with a more experienced coach, whether he's defensive-oriented or not. I would get some some direction in this. It's the, you know, Sirianni ha had a grace period here. And, and yeah, to getting to the Super Bowl was a magnificent development. You thought you had the coach that was, was so innovative. But the longer time went on, you, you saw that he really didn't have the goods. So I, I think you've got to go deeper now instead of, you know, stop guessing to find out a guy who aces your interview and, and, and get a guy that has a track record. Let's, if you want to go deeper, then we got to go all the way deep, Mike. That's not quite deep enough. Okay? You want to bring Belichick in? No, That's let, let's, deep? let's talk about how we got to Doug Peterson and how we got to Nick Sirianni. Let's just be honest, Okay. It all started when Chip Kelly put Howie Roseman in the closet. Mm -hmm. And when Howie got out of the closet, do you think he was ever going to hire another head coach that was an authority figure that could question his authority or that could get in Jeffrey's ear and, and usurp any of his power? No, you're and, right. And you're Jeffrey, right about that. And Jeffrey didn't like it either. Mm -hmm. So now you've got yeah. Jeffrey and Howie that see things a similar way. They're not going to go out and bring, go in and bring a guy like Bill Belichick in here because Bill Belichick's personality is, is well, I, too— I totally agree. It would be off the charts odd that they would do something like that. But what I'm saying is, you know, desperate measures, desperate times call for desperate measures. And, and if I, I would do my own self-evaluation if I was Jeffrey Lurie. You tried it your way for all this time, and, you, and you, you did win a Super Bowl by the grace of God, but where this team is going now, you need direction. Okay. Okay, Mike. So think about this. In the last 63 years, okay, the Eagles have won one Super Bowl. In the last six years, they've gone to two. Mm -hmm. This is what success and arrogance about success, this is what bothers me about it sometimes. Because what in God's name would have you believe that they think that their process and how they do things don't work? Because for... For 57 years, they didn't even get to a modern-day Super Bowl. In the last six years, they've gone to two in a row doing what they're doing. So what makes you think that they don't think that there's another, another coach out there that they can bring in who is a chip off of somebody else's tree that will do things the way that they want them to do it that can't get them where they want to get to again? I, I agree 100% with it. I don't think it's, there's a chance in hell that, that they would go my way with this whole thing. I'm, I'm just suggesting that maybe you need, at this point, to think about going that oh, way. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just, 
I'm just playing devil's advocate to your, <laughs> yeah, to, to your yeah, narrative I get it. over there. It's ridiculous to think that those two control freaks would want Bill Belichick in there. I, I totally get it. Do they it. want to win they, or not? They, they think they've reinvented the wheel. And Jeffrey Lurie has this adorable little teddy bear that he holds really cl- close to him, and he has named that teddy bear Howie Roseman. Mm-hmm. Howie Roseman is the guy, Seth, that when he took him out of that closet, what did he do? He got him his first Super Bowl that he's ever had as the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles, and he got him to another, and the point that we can never leave out is with a different head coach and a different quarterback. So according to their own philosophy, and I don't agree with it because I look at the arrogance, and there's no more arrogant year the Eagles have ever had, really, than the year they just had, and I'll explain that in a second. But when you talk about Howie Roseman, that is his security blanket as an owner. If I just stick with this guy, he has figured it out. The year he went away, that's the year he figured but, but out how to be a good GM. A, a, but can you be that oblivious to what just happened? Absolutely. You, well, wait, you wait, can? Wait, right now, no. I'm going to fire the head coach. If you're, if you're I'm the, the head do coach. Again, can you be oblivious to that this meltdown, which is historic in nature, Absolutely. proven by historic years? Yeah, yeah. No, you can't be oblivious to it. That's why he's going to make the major change of firing the head coach. Find the coach. Jeff Stoutland, you're going to have some younger guys coming up on the offensive line. No better person to have to take care of that. Firing the coach is not the major change. Firing the coach and grabbing a, an experienced right. guy that you have not gone through the interview process and got wowed by. No, you, you know the answer to that question. Well, Jeffrey Lurie is not stepping aside. He's not going to rescind the power that he has now amassed well, since the I, I, Chip Kelly days. and He's not going to take away power from Howie Rose. I again. get it. But you, did you see that look on his face? Like he was gutted. Yes. Like but a, he's, like he deer. knows the answer. All right. He uh, knows the answer. The problem is, you know. By the way, I what, don't believe he does. He believes he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. What, what they need is a monumental shift in, you know, how they look at how offensive football should be played. You know, I, I, when I watch this offense, this offense doesn't manipulate defenses. They've got routes that are set to run, and they run their routes against whatever coverage that you're in. Okay? You've been talking about that all year, about yeah. lack of sight adjustment. Well, I mean, and the other thing yeah. is, too, if Jalen Hurts is reading cover two, a cover four, a cover six, a cover three, you have routes built into your playbook that are coverage beaters. Why isn't he checking into those routes? Okay? We had routes set tonight, and Baker Mayfield made the right throw that beat the coverage on multiple occasions. We don't do that. We haven't had offensive success like that on a – efficient basis all season long because our offense isn't built to beat coverages. Patrick Mahomes beats coverages, okay? The top-tier quarterback, Jared Goff, beats coverages. Brock Purdy, they got offenses that beat coverages. Our offense is based on how talented we are and our ability to make what we run work. We don't care what you run. We don't care what coverage you're in. We're better than you are, so we can beat you. I'm telling you, that does not work. What they need to do is go and find one of those offensive coordinators, one of those offensive minds that fell off of Shanahan's tree There's a, or, 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 or Sean McVay's tree that understand football, offensive football, from a different perspective. Because the way that they're playing now, it is so easy for a defensive coordinator to put together a game plan. I'm going to load the box on first down. I'm going to try to get you behind the sticks. And then I'm coming after you on second down, force you to throw incomplete. Now you got third and nine. I'm going to come after you again. And all the routes that you run are 10 to 15 yards or or more, and we're going to play our defensive backs off and and let let your wide receivers just run to us. It, It doesn't work. It does not work. Okay, so they need more of a true mind 
and they need someone to come in here who can help Jalen Hurts grow as a quarterback, okay? I thought this year would be the year where you, yeah, you use some RPO and some read option, but you also have some 12 personnel with two tight ends where, you know, you got Jalen under center, you're running stretch plays, you're running bootlegs, you're running, you know, misdirection plays, you line up, you know, in, in, in 11 personnel, and, you know, Jalen's under center, you're doing some of those same things. You're, you're, you're varying what you're doing, and you're putting him in a position where he can operate from the pocket. No, he lives in, in, in shotgun 95% of the time, and 95% of what they do is so, it, it, it's, it's so predictable. If I'm Jalen Hurts and I got um, um, Swift lined up to my left, there's really only one place he can run the ball. That's to the right. By alignment, where else can he go? The only other play that you have, you take it and you pitch it to him. But nine times out of ten, that's the weak side. So there's nowhere for him to go. So where the nine out of the ten runs go, if I'm the quarterback, I take the ball, the, the running backs line up here, he's getting the ball going across the formation. And you know what defensive tackles do? What teams have started doing, they spike the defensive tackle, they cut the field in half, so there's no, no cutback whatsoever. And you, they need a philosophical change in every single way. If I can see that with my eyes, and I can see what they're doing on defense and it doesn't work, and all I do is analyze the game and watch the game on a, on a weekly basis, I don't get paid to, to coach. And let me say, I don't want to coach, to be honest with you, okay? I don't have 13 to 15 hours a day where I want to – do that. You understand what I'm saying? But I know enough about football that when I watch the game, I watch the game from an analytical standpoint. I don't watch the game from the standpoint of just, oh, you know, I like to, to watch football. I'm not, I don't care what a football is. I see it all. And what I'm telling you is that if I, as a defensive player whose trained eye can see all of these things, you mean to tell me that Todd Bowles and, and Brian Flores and Bill Belichick and all these great minds, you think they can't figure it out? When they spend 15 hours a day studying it? Come on, man. My biggest issue right now, too, is also the offensive side of the ball because you put nine points against this team. And I know the defense looked terrible. They can't tackle for anything. High school football players could go out there and have a little bit more passion than them. But you look at this team. Okay, A.J. Brown is down. They clearly had no answer, and it seems like they just practiced like maybe A.J. Brown was playing. Julio Jones goes out with a concussion. And you look at this offense right now, but then you look at it from a year from now as well. You look at Jason Kelsey, who, by the way, declined to talk to the media. So, he may not be coming back. You look at the defensive side of the ball as well. Brandon Graham said he does want to come back next year if the Eagles will have him, but Fletcher Cox hasn't said anything just yet. DeAndre Swift is also another big-time free agent that you look at, but hopefully next year the Eagles can bring somebody in that will actually utilize the run game. But you look at this right now. If the Eagles, to me, don't bring in a high-profile coach, I can see next year as being a rebuild year. And I know, Seth, you touched on this just a little bit. It's crazy to think that when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts, a guy like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, but with a young defense and how many guys they can lose and how many vets they could possibly lose, I don't like the odds if Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie say, oh, we're going to bring in somebody that we can control once again. I agree 100%. You know, you got to have somebody that's going to bring some cachet to the table. Let me ask you a question. If you're DeAndre Swift, do you want to resign with this football team? Absolutely not. They didn't utilize him whatsoever. So – you brought in Rashad Penny, and he didn't play all season long. 
Boston okay. Scott is also a free agent too. Boston Scott. Boston Scott would be retarded to, to, to actually, and I'm, I, excuse me, he'd be out of his mind to sign back with the Philadelphia Eagles. There's not a single running back out there that will look at this organization and say to themselves, man, I like their running game. I like the way they employ the running game. What running back wants to come here when you know that the running game is a byproduct of everything else that they do, that you're an afterthought, that you could have success and rush for 150 yards in a game and then come back and never supersede 50 for the next 10 games. So what running back wants to come here? None. I don't think any at all. And that's why I think it's so important, guys, to get a coach that can come in here and actually change a lot of different things. I don't know if Bill Belichick is the answer. I think defensively they need a whole lot of help. But just imagine losing guys like BG and Fletcher Cox. That kind of goes away with rotation that they were able to have. And the D-line is something we looked at it during the year and said, oh, this is actually a good part of the Philadelphia Eagles defensively as well. Not that they really did anything, but Morrow and Cunningham, they are also free agents. So once again, you're going back to the drawing board with linebackers. I mean, to me, Mark, a high-profile coach has to be the answer unless they wow us all and decide to keep Nick Sirianni and everybody. But to me, that's absolutely not happening. Yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. For a high-profile coach, that means that you have to get rid of some of that power that you love mm -hmm. having if you're Jeffrey Lurie or if you're Howie Roseman. You don't want to just give that away all of a sudden. But you have to do something that's drastically different than what you did this year. And earlier when I referenced the arrogance of this franchise I've never seen at the height height that it is right now I mean other than maybe begging for a number one wide receiver before Terrell Owens came here for those years that might be the only other exception but think about this Sean Desai had one year as a defensive play caller under his belt as a defensive coordinator should be under his belt and you hired him to take over your defense after you had 70 sacks last year and got to a Super Bowl. You trusted your defense with him out of nowhere. We, nobody else was begging for him to be their defensive coordinator, and the Eagles gave him that job. Brian Johnson wasn't – nobody was calling for Brian Johnson to be elevated, elevated from quarterback's coach to be their offensive coordinator anywhere else where he could have probably gotten more money elsewhere than staying here in Philadelphia. But instead, he took over for Shane Steichen. And Nick Sirianni must be so terrible at play calling that he looked at what he saw this season and said, you know what, I can't even do a better job than Brian Johnson and never made that change. The fact that you had that much inexperience about around young guys that you're looking to develop, no better example than Jalen Hurts himself, who you just guaranteed $150 million, guaranteed $150 million to. And they said, oh, we'll be fine. And you know what? We'll even, uh, we'll even, uh, we might even improve with the defensive lineman that we got in this draft and a linebacker that we got in this draft. That's the arrogance of the Philadelphia Eagles in the way they think about this. They thought they could ride Jalen Hurts, an MVP, uh, caliber quarterback a year ago and say you know what just like last year we can outscore a lot of these teams and just about anybody can run the defensive philosophy that we want to run because all we're doing is saying you know what we just don't have to allow the big play we get some sacks we're going to look great and that is the definition of Eagles arrogance when it comes to how they think they should run the football team and run the coaching staff as well. Farzi when I'm thinking about an offensive mind to come in here and run this this offense and take over Jalen Hurts and turn him into the elite-level quarterback that we all saw him elevating to? I'm going to give you a name, and then you tell me what you think about this guy and whether the Eagles will actually hire him because of his personality, okay? Just got fired down the road from us. Eric Bieniemy. why wouldn't you bring that guy in? Andy Reid disciple? Inherent knowledge about the West Coast offense? All of, those, all of those things. Took a guy like Sam Howell and 
and made him look like a serviceable quarterback for a while, okay? He's a guy that I could see them bringing in, but they're not going to hire him. He's down there, and the players go to Ron Rivera. Oh, he's, a t- he's too intense. He coaches too hard. Like, y'all haven't won a damn thing in 20 years. And this guy got two Super Bowl rings in his back pocket, and he's trying to show you what it takes to be successful, and you complain about him being too intense? No, you complain because he's holding your feet to the fire. That's the kind of guy that the Philadelphia Eagles need in here to, to, to work with and control Jalen Hurts. That's what they need. You need players also that want their feet held to the fire. This team doesn't, evidently. Mike, if you want to be great, though. Yeah, I, I get it. You're, you're, you're laying out the template of what it should be. Those players have to be willing to be coached that way. If you, if you, listen, it all begins, it all begins with you as a coach and the foundation that you lay. It, it always starts that way, okay? If you come in as a coach and you're trying to be everybody's friend, it never serves you well in the end. Like Nick Sirianni? Absolutely. <laughs> it never all, ser- all that. It never serves you well because your players have to understand that there's a difference between you as a player and me as a coach, okay? Now, we're all on the same page. We're all pulling in the same direction. We all got the same goal. But there's an inherent difference between you and me, okay? My job is to coach you and to help you become the best player that you can be so that when I put all 11 of you guys together in any phase, that we can be as successful as possible, okay? That's my job as a head coach. Now, it's not my job to be your friend. It is my job to get to know you, and it is my job to create relationship. But at the end of the day, my job depends on you doing your job, okay? And if I can't get you to do what I'm coaching you to do, then ultimately I'm going to lose my job, and some of y'all sorry asses are going to lose y'all's job too. Now, the quarterback, the quarterback's untouchable. Some players are untouchable. But there's a whole lot of players in that, on that roster that, that, are, that, are, re, that are replaced. Oh, you understand what I'm saying? No question about that. So now that. what's the messaging that you have for your team? Do, are you here to win or are you here – for notoriety, or are you here for the money? And then me as a coach and as a GM, I've got to evaluate each and every one of you because i got to get as many of you guys that want to win championships on my roster as I can. And there's no getting away from the guys who, who, who want recognition and the money, but you'll be able to tell the difference because the minute you give a guy a contract and he doesn't want to play up and he's not committed, then you know you made a mistake. And, they, and, and, and you know the difference between the guys who are just here for the recognition because they're not going to work. They're not going to put in the extra work. They're not going to put in the extra hours, okay? So that whole thing about we need, to, we need to, a little bit of reversion. We need to get away from this overly emotional intelligence to a certain degree because everybody's got a job to do. And when you can't hold your players' feet to the fire and when you can't hold your players accountable, it is. It's divisive for you as a head coach. And it's divisive when it comes from the top down that this is how you should act. I'm listening to Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson and Matt Patricia talking in their press conference last week. Every single time they were asked about a player, you want to know what their response was? Oh, you know, I got to do a better job at coaching. How about he do his damn job? But as the offensive coordinator, the head coach, defensive coordinator, I can't talk about my player. You want to know why? 
Because if I talk about him in any negative way, I'm throwing him under the bus. I'm not throwing him under the bus. The truth of the matter is his sorry ass can't tackle. You asked me whether he could tackle. You asked me what the problem was, okay? But I'm supposed to cover from him because he missed five tackles in the game. I'm supposed to say I got to do a better job of coaching That's the way him. Buddy would handle it, right? Buddy Ryan would handle it that way. <laughs> I got to do a better job. Dude, <laughs> you, at some point in time, you have to hold your players' feet to the fire. And there's a way to do it without Bruising hurting their, their feelings. little feelings. And, and, and them feeling like you throwing them under the bus. But there's a way to do it. All right. Let's uh, take a break because you just brought up emotional intelligence. Our next guest has it in spades. John McMullen, who covered the game in Tampa, will join us on the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show back after this. Passionately, go fearlessly, go confidently. Go first. <clears throat> go confidently towards your goals with First Trust, Philly's hometown bank for nearly 90 years, and the official bank of the Philadelphia Eagles. We're focused on getting you over the goal line. So go with conviction, go with trust, go first. and go forward with us by your side. First Trust Bank, the official bank of Philadelphia dreams. Oh, and go birds. I'm Jim Muehlbronner, Managing Partner at DelVal Insurance Group. Give us a call. We're a local, knowledgeable agency, not an 800 number. Go Birds! Staffing is not easy, but that's what we do every day, all day. The key to our success is storytelling, asking the right questions to find the right people. I'm Gary Kane, president of Kane Partners. We want to be your staffing partner. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. 
Well, good evening, everybody. It is the Pilot Hockey Eagles postgame show. They got waffled 32-9. to The season's over. Changes have to come. And we'll see this week what comes. But uh, to, to review what we witnessed tonight, which was, like, obscene in front of us, let's bring in the man who covered the game in Tampa for Jacob Media. He, of course, is the great John McMullen. John, I, I, uh, I thought that they had at least one effort left in them and they could possibly get to a game two where they would get slaughtered by whoever uh i I, you know the notion that this team was broken just continued and manifested itself today this was a broken team that ended this year embarrassingly and now you're going to see to see a rash of changes what was your view yeah, I, I, I was with you. I thought they had one more in them. I thought they were going to perform well, uh, at least against a, a, a team that isn't great by any stretch of the imagination, but the Eagles made them look great. And I, I thought it would end abruptly in the divisional round when you faced a, a really good team, whether it would have ultimately been Detroit, could have been San Francisco, if Dallas won. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a performance that was just awful on so many levels. Um, you know, I, I think about that first half, and Tampa Bay dominated so much, and they dropped seven passes. Officially, it was six. I counted seven, um, which was the most in a postseason game. In a postseason game, not the first half. In a postseason game since 2006, 17 years ago, if they would have caught those passes, I don't know what this score would have been. It would have been 50 to 9 or something like that. This was an abject disaster on every level. They were over 11. They didn't convert a third or a fourth down all night. They were just completely dominated by an average football team. I've never seen a worse tackling performance. And when you start talking about tackling, look, tackling is a lost art in the modern NFL in a lot of ways. Um, But man, they didn't look like they were giving effort out there. At one point, it certainly seemed like James Bradbury was benched for a short period of time for non-tackling. Same thing with Hassan Reddick. Um, other than Devontae Smith, and even Devontae, I think that he had that chance to haul in that one pass at the end. Other than Devontae, I can't point to anybody and say, wow, that guy, that did, he, he played pretty well. Um, it, was, it was a disaster. And I came into this game kind of scoffing at people saying Nick Sirianni was going to get fired. I didn't think there was any chance he was going to get fired coming into this game. I also didn't think they would get beat to the level that they got beat at. And, you know, you finish six out of seven. I understand why people are saying it. I'm not going to tell him not to say it. I still think he's going to be back. And I think he's going to be back because I kind of look at things from, you know, where you want to be versus how you get there. So, A, if you want to fire him, who's the next coach? How are you getting there? And for all the people throwing out the Bill Belichick's of the world, well, then you got to fire the GM. Are, is Jeffrey going to fire the GM as well? Maybe, 
I mean, I can't say he can't. It's up to one guy at the end of the day. But I keep going back to the list, and and it just came up because Bill left quarter century, Pete Carroll left. Here are the longest tenured head coaches with one team in this league. Mike Tomlin, 17 seasons, never had a losing season. John Harbaugh, 16 seasons, has the best team in the AFC. Andy Reid, maybe the second best coach of the generation. Sean McDermott, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, all seven seasons. All good teams, playoff teams, good coaches. Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, five seasons. Good teams, good coaches. Continuity is a big thing in this league. I don't think Jeffrey Lurie wants to be the guy firing people at, you know, with 667 winning percentages in three consecutive postseason bursts, but maybe he will. So what is the fallout then, John, looking at the rest of this and seeing how the players played and the wind down the season, seeing how plays weren't executed throughout the last really seven weeks of the season, seeing the defense fall apart, seeing them already make a big change defensively throughout the course of the year, which is four games left. What's the fallout from this point on after this historic collapse? Well, I think we, we've learned it, Mark, from Jeffrey Lurie's past, and this is the scapegoat phase of the process, and there will be scapegoats, and I will be surprised that that defensive coaching staff is not completely gutted. Um and they go in a different direction completely defensively, not only from a scheme standpoint, but all the coaches and, and the fact that that might be a situation where Jeffrey Lurie says, you know what? I don't want your input. Let Howie find a defensive coordinator. Um, so what I think happened today is the clock started on Nick Sirianni. Now the clock is ticking on Nick Sirianni going into next season. If he has another poor season from an expectation standpoint, he's gone. Um, but that's where I think the phases of Jeffrey Lurie is. He's now in the scapegoat phase. You will have scapegoats. There will be significant changes on this coaching staff. There will be significant changes in personnel. There has to be on the defensive side of the ball. They need to get better personnel on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so there's going to be a bunch of changes. Uh, and Nick Sirianni is now on the clock, so to speak. There's also going to be a lot of changes with the veterans. Brandon Graham did say he possibly wants to come back next year if the Eagles would have him. Jason Kelsey was very emotional after the loss. You also look at Fletcher Cox. John, to you, out of those guys, who do you think will be back? Because those are huge holes to fill, especially in terms of leadership. Yeah, I mean, with Jason, and, and very rare, I mean, Jason was very upset. He did not speak in the locker room, which he always speaks. Um, you know, at the end of seasons, it always seems like that's it for Jason. And then he steps back and he starts going through his life and he says he misses it and he comes back. Um, we've seen that cycle numerous times. This time, Lane Johnson alluded to it again today. He's given a lot of hints that this is it. You know, he might step away again for a couple of weeks and say, I don't want to go out like this on, on Raymond James Stadium in this type of performance and say he wants to come back. He was an all pro again. 
for the sixth time. So it's not like he's not playing at a high level. Um, but if I were a betting man, I would say this is it for Jason Kelsey. Um, he's got so many outside interests now. That factors into it as well. Uh, Brandon, as you mentioned, has already indicated he wants to come back. The Eagles might have to make a difficult decision there. Mr. Eagle. Nobody's played more games as an Eagle than Brandon Grant. But, you know, you got to get younger. You got to turn this thing over. Lane's certainly going to be back. He's still playing at a high level. He thinks he, he, thinks he has a couple years left. And Fletcher Cox is going to be interesting. Um, you know, the Jets tried to sign him this offseason, offered him more money, and he came back to Philadelphia. I think he had a very good season overall. I think if someone offers him two years, I think he might walk. Um, but, you know, he's proven the Jets offered him $12 million, the Eagles 10 It's pretty significant. He came back. I think he wants to finish his career as an Eagle, but that's going to be a difficult negotiation as well. John, you and I don't disagree on many things. I disagree on the fact that you know, and, and you know, you've heard me say it many times. I'll say it again right now. I'm not ever one to advocate for one someone losing or not losing their job, but I think the jig is up on Nick Sirianni. I think he's lost his locker room. I think he's lost his team. I think he's lost his quarterback. I don't think anyone has faith in, you know, their philosophies. And I believe that as an organization, they need some philosophical changes. This whole thought of how you pass the football, you know, and push it down the field even when it's not there. Um, the lack of a running game. DeAndre Swift had five carries in the first half, averaged four yards a carry, only five, five carries in the first half against a team that you previously ran the 200 yards on, and you were always in the game. You were never in a situation where you had to throw the ball. On the defensive side of the ball, they completely fractured this football team with this move from Desai to, to, to Matt Patricia. Um, they're void of talent there, and this affects everything. It affects how other free agents look at, you know, whether they want to come to this once great destination of the city of brotherly love to play for a football team that was on the was was on the rise and they're clearly not on the rise anymore and i think that there needs to be a new voice a new direction a new philosophy in every phase of the game in order for the eagles to move through move forward they may even have to be in a rebuilding situation on the defensive side of the football which may put them in a situation where offensively they've got to score 35 points a game in order to win. That was certainly the case this year. Why wouldn't it not be the case next year? I mean, how many, even if you let, even if you let Slay and Bradbury go, how much more youthful are you going to get on the outside that will allow you to play a lot more aggressive? They've mishandled the linebacker and the safety position, which obviously needs to be rebuilt. Where does this football team go from here? And why would anybody believe that Nick Sirianni, well, after 18 weeks of trying to fix it and 19 weeks into a playoff game, hasn't been able to fix it, that he's magically going to come up with the remedy to fix it next year. Well, defensively, it's hard to be much worse. Um, so they're going to have a bunch of new names 
and they might be young names and they might be more athletic and they might make mistakes, but they're going to be better because they have to be better. Offensively, <clears throat> you know, they were certainly broken in this final stretch seven games. And it, it is kind of confounding with the talent that they have. Now, AJ wasn't out there today, but you still shouldn't perform that poorly. Um, we know the blitz issues, um, the offensive line getting caught, you know, downfield. That's the kind of stuff that bothers me. You know, that's been pretty consistent since Nick has been here. They can't run a rub route, can't run bubble screens, which are staples of uh, of the NFL, and most teams can do it at least occasionally. That's the kind of stuff that bothers me. Um, when you can't accomplish simple things, and you can't, you keep making the same mistakes again and again and again. However, I also got to take a step back and say, well, all these teams we're talking about are just as inconsistent as the Eagles, with the exception of a couple. Um, they've had up seasons, down seasons. There's not too many teams that have a 667 winning percentage over three years, three playoff bursts. So again, what are we talking about long-term? You know, I think people get caught up in the moment. I get it, because this was ugly. And the moment is ugly. But that doesn't mean other stuff didn't happen. And if they were so god-awful, well, what is the rest of this league? Who, who, who can't beat them? Ah, well. John, we're, we're losing your transmission a little bit. Uh, yeah, we, lo we, we kind of lost John, uh, the Wi-Fi in the, in the booth. It's kind of shut down for him. Now, Seth, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think the one thing that, that um, I wanted to ask John, first of all, how Sirianni sounded. Uh, in, in the post-game press conference, and I assume he was asked about his job security. Here's the thing that I think John is bypassing. Um, this was a meltdown of epic, epic proportions that the head coach had no ability to curb. It, it just got it spiraled out of control. When you're looking at a head coach, that's one of his responsibilities. you got to stop the bleeding. you got to figure out a way to get that team back together. He was unable to do that. So whatever his winning percentage is, to me, is irrelevant. It's what happened here that showed uh, the, the true self for me with this head coach. Well, you know, Nick Sirianni said last week, it's really easy for someone to lead when things are going well. It's difficult to lead when things are going sideways. Leading is one thing, being able to fix the problem. As a head coach, you're the problem solver. You're the chief. You can talk about CEO all you want to. You are the, 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 C, the, the chief problem fixer. That's what your job is. And he has failed miserably at being able to fix that, no matter what the record looks like, no matter what it looks like. 
and 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 now you're taking you're going to have to take a step backwards, especially on the defensive side of the ball, until you can become more talented and rectify the situation. If that's the case, and then Kelsey steps away, um, you lose a running back again. Now you're back in the running back market. Um, you, you got all of these question marks. You know, you're still not solidified at your number three wide receiver position. I think we can all say, you know, that the Quez Watkins experiment is now over. Julio Jones is done. Alameda Zacchaeus didn't give you what you needed. So, you know, you've you got all of these areas and all of these pieces that you've got to fix. And you're going to bring. Well, how committed is AJ Brown going to be as well? Well, but AJ, after, after what happened in the end of the he season, he apparently deleted Eagles pictures off of social yeah. media. It doesn't, it doesn't so matter. maybe he's yeah. just toying with the fans. Listen, it but. doesn't matter. He's he's 50 million in on 100 million dollar contract. No matter how he feels or what the circumstances are, he ain't trying to mess up 25 million dollars on average next year. So AJ can say whatever he wants to say and delete whatever the hell he wants to delete. He got 25 million problems. And, and, and Twitter ain't one, okay? I think the other thing, too, real quick, is that there's just so many good head coaches out there that are available that I don't know if the Eagles are going to go for them, but if they were to keep Nick Sirianni after this colossal failure and you pass up on any of these guys that we've mentioned throughout this show, it's going to be a really bad look for that organization. I, I, I just am curious to know, like, you, they had to have asked him about his job security, right? Some reporter had to ask Nick Sirianni how he feels about whether he's going to survive this, his right? Head, his head is not there right now. Uh, his head is not his there, right? Is, is that what he said? And they also asked Jalen Hurts about it as well, and he said, uh, I want uh, – he said, oh, I didn't know Nick Sirianni was going anywhere. Okay, we got, yeah. we got John back. John, uh, we're just talking about uh, that whole thing, and I was curious, what was Sirianni's demeanor when he was being peppered with all these questions and uh, obviously his job security – had to have come up. What did you uh, What did you take out of what he had to say? <clears throat> um, yeah, it came up, and obviously, as Mark mentioned, he said he's not there yet, which I get. He said he was worried about the players right now, not worried about himself, all that kind of stuff. He he knows the questions surrounding. He certainly talked like a guy who's going to be back. He certainly talked like a guy who thinks he's going to be back. Um, so from that standpoint, most of the players defended him. Um, for those talking about him losing the locker room and all that kind of stuff, uh, Hassan Reddick, Lane Johnson, a uh, bunch of guys defended him. Um, so from that standpoint, it certainly seemed like he believes he's coming back. Um, I believe he's coming back. Now, I heard Kayla say there's a bunch of coaches out there. They are. But which one is going to come in the so-called go-along-to-get-along position that the Philadelphia Eagles have turned into this head coaching position. That's the part I think people don't understand. Okay, you could say Jeffrey Lurie grew up a Patriots fan, and you could say Jeffrey Lurie wanted to buy the Patriots, and, and those things are all true. And he has tremendous respect for Bill Belichick. You think Bill Belichick's going to come in here and listen to other people in a collaborative process, tell them who his assistant coaches are going to be, who the players are going to be. It ain't happening. So you got to change your whole organization. And guess what? Most coaches are like that. They want some kind of power. Ever since Chip Kelly 
Jeffrey Lurie has turned away from that process. Now, he could always change. We're talking about one person. He could wake up tomorrow and say, you know what? I need to get a head coach who can do it all. And all of a sudden, Bill Belichick is here. But he would have to change his whole philosophy, the whole way he's built this organization. He would have to essentially kick his most trusted advisor back to the broom closet. That's the part I think people aren't thinking out. Yeah, I, I, there is John. no evidence, no evidence that he has shown that he wants to go down that route. John, I don't no. think he has. I don't think he has to do that. To be honest with you, what I think he needs to do is he needs to let football people run football and let the coaches coach the football team and separate them. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no reason for the football. The the yeah, but the, said, that's what they do now. Bill Belichick's not going to accept that. Bill Bill's Belichick, a football guy. I understand that. Bill Belichick said, hey, I'm open to some changes in how we've operated here in New England, meaning that I don't have to be everything. I don't have to be the head coach, the GM, and everything else. He's open to that. So if you can bring him in as the head coach and they just shut up and leave him alone and let him do what he does best, and that's coach football players, develop talent and build a roster and let <laughs> Howie evaluate in his scouting evaluate players and bring the players in with a little bit of, you know, input from the head coach, that's the way an organization is supposed to be run. The GM is not supposed to be telling the head coach who should play and who shouldn't, who should make the roster and who shouldn't, what the offense, you know, the analytics people shouldn't be telling the offensive coordinator, well, we should be running these plays against this defense because this is what the numbers say. Doesn't work that way. We've lost our way in professional football when we allow that to begin to happen. And this organization has lost its way because that's the way that they operate, John. Well then well then you gotta skip over Nick Sirianni and you gotta skip over Howie Roseman and you gotta get to Jeffrey Lurie. Because Jeffrey Lurie is the reason this organization is run the way this organization is run. Okay, Jeffrey so I got a, so I got a question for Jeffrey Lurie. Do you want to win or do you want to continue along this path? And I know that you've been to two Super Bowls in the last six years, so the, the so the prevailing thought is the way you've been doing it is the right way. But this situation that we're looking at right now looks eerily similar to the end for Doug Peterson mm-hmm. all over again. Well, yeah, and and that's why I I spoke of. And I don't know how much you got of it when when I lost my connection, but I spoke of the clock starting for Nick Sirianni because of what happened with Nick uh, Doug Peterson. But when it comes to analytics, for I mean Jeffrey, that's Jeffrey's baby. I mean, and guess what? Because Jeffrey is 72 years old, Julian Laurie is a big part of that. So the guy taking over, that part ain't changing. It ain't changing. So if Bill Belichick wants here, he's got to get on board with that. And by the way, Doug Peterson pushed back on that. And Nick Sirianni pushes back on that at times. Um, That's a Jeffrey Lurie thing. So, I mean, when we talk about how this organization is run, make no mistake about it. If you want to blame Nick Sirianni for that, you're, you're crazy. If you want to blame Howie Roseman for that, you're crazy. That goes right to the top. 
This organization is set up the way it's set up because of Jeffrey Lord. All right, Philly fans, you heard it. What you going to do with that? Well, Farsi? Uh, be sad. I don't know. How am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to do it? He has an owner. opportunity to make a change, though. <laughs> Meddling owners got numbers for you, football <laughs> people. Wait till you hear them. Hey, listen. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the same situation. You know, how often does the same thing have to repeat itself before you realize that a change is necessary? Right. But you, to your point, they're just going to go to another Super Bowl because they know what they're doing. No, no, they're not. Oh, I agree well, with you. Yeah, but no, they're not, not with how they played no, and what they're, they're going to lose yeah, next no. season. I would venture to say that they caught lightning in the bottle because they hired Doug Peterson. Jim Schwartz is the insurance policy. And all of a sudden, the last thing that they think that is going to happen is that Doug Peterson is going to take this team to the Super Bowl in year two. Mm-hmm. Okay. He wins the championship. That was his time to, like, to like grab a little bit of power. Yeah, sure. Okay? And because he's well, so and, and the, To be fair to Jeffrey, by the way, the Eagles have won a lot of games over the Doug Peterson and Nick Sirianni era because they've been ahead of the curve analytically against the rest of the league. They have won a lot of games because they were at the forefront and ahead of the curve. And they were the ones who sort of, now everybody is fourth down aggressive. That started with Doug Peterson and the Eagles. And they won a lot of games because they were ahead of the curve. So I don't, I, I can criticize Jeffrey for a lot of things. And one of them is, you know, scapegoating people as you will see in the coming days and weeks. Um, and but one of them is not analytics this organization and when you see alec Hallaby getting gm interviews and you see ian cunningham who's gone and uh a, a step away from being a gm and brandon brown and and katherine rice and andrew berry and everybody else when people need coaches and when people need executives they look at certain teams, and the Eagles are in the top three of that group. John. That's, that's, that's because they win, Kayla, okay? They do. And, and and when I look at the Dallas Cowboys, they've won a lot of football games. How's that worked out for them Cowboys? <laughs> they choke all the time in the playoffs. John, real quick, I want to go back to the similarities here between Doug Peterson and Nick Sirianni because – Doug Peterson won the Super Bowl, and then in 2018, the reason why they didn't advance was because the ball went through Alshon Jeffrey's hands. This year, they go to the Super Bowl a season ago, and Nick Sirianni not only loses to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they get demolished, and they look terrible. So they let go of Doug Peterson. What's not saying they're going to let go of Nick Sirianni? Are they just going to try this out and say, this is our guy for the next seven years? Let's see what he can do? No, but I, I think a lot of people forget Doug Peterson was coming back. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Lurie agreed to bring Doug Peterson back after, by the way, a four-win season. Not an 11-win season, a four-win season. Um, And he agreed that Doug was going to come back. And then he wanted a plan from Doug and said, we need improvement at the coordinator's positions. And he came back with Press Taylor and this is where Jeffrey scapegoats people and Matt Burke and Corey Unlin. And that wasn't acceptable to Jeffrey Lurie. And Doug said, kind of F you 
let me have autonomy <laughs> over who I want to be coaches. And then if it doesn't work, fire me then. And Jeffrey said, no, we have to go in a different direction. And that only then was he fired. So if he goes into these season ending meetings with Nick Sirianni and says, you have to hire so-and-so to be the defensive coordinator, or you have to fire Brian Johnson or somebody he's close to, and Nick balks, then he might fire him. But that's up to Nick. My point is he will bring him back and he will have demands. And if Nick, you know, bounces back at those demands and says, no, I'm not doing it. Yeah, then he might fire him. Well, he's going to accept whatever Jeffrey says. John, listen, um, your work has been outstanding all year, and we really appreciate you hanging out late with us. uh, And hopefully we do this again next year with you. Thanks so much. Uh, for all your contributions. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. That's John McMullen. Of course, he's brought to us by Land Rover of Willowgrove, uh, the your defender of the game. I don't know who that is. I don't have a defender of the game, but uh, Jaguar Land Rover of Willowgrove has a defender, a new defender. Test drive it. You'll absolutely love it. Presented by Jaguar Land Rover of Willowgrove. We're going to come back and uh, game balls have not been really a good segment for this show over the past six weeks. We're going to try to squeeze one out before we get out of here for the season on the Pond Hockey Eagles postgame show live from Ocean Casino. Back after that. My wife was in an accident that changed our lives forever. She was in rehabilitation for years. She had to learn to walk again. She couldn't take care of herself. We couldn't afford a nurse. We were running out of options. One conversation with Pond Lee Hockey changed everything. They understood what we were going through and immediately helped us navigate the legal process. We can't thank them enough. Pond Lee Hockey, tell us your story. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. The perfect pair. Rafferty Subaru has partnered with So Good Now during the 2023 Subaru Share the Love event. And through the Subaru Love Promise, we prove we care by supporting charities like So Good Now. 
Soganow helps kids in under-resourced areas by connecting them with student-athletes to serve as mentors. We remove barriers so athletes can help youth in the corners of our communities where light and love are needed most. When you choose Rafferty Subaru, you help organizations like So Good Now. It's all about you at Rafferty Subaru. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. A lot of uncertainty about where this franchise is going. I mean, we assumed that they were going to be a perennial contender, and this kind of shot some holes into that. But uh, let's see if we can scurry up some game balls for today. And listen, I, I, there's one game ball that you should give out. It's the one guy that really balled out today, and that was uh, Devontae Smith. Uh, he, he, he came, he, he brought it today. He had eight catches for 148 yards, 55 long, 12 targets really uh, played with a little fire and I can't think of anybody else who matched that kind of effort. So I, you know, I stole the game ball from, from all y'all. <laughs> uh, Jake Elliott made some field goals, maybe great one, football one, player. One, one, yeah. <laughs> uh, Baker Mayfield. I'm going to go on the other side of the aisle. I'm going to go with Baker Mayfield. Uh, he, uh, he and Tom Brady are the only Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterbacks to throw a 300 uh, passing yard game, three touchdowns in a game. So he joined some elite company right there. So good for Baker Mayfield. He gets my game ball. I'm going to go Devontae Smith as well because I feel like he's the only Eagle that didn't book a vacation for next weekend. I think they all came into the game and decided they're just not going to show up. Devontae Smith at least tried. I mean, on the defensive side of the ball, they couldn't even tackle or try to tackle. Devontae Smith showed up, and it makes me excited to see Hopefully the trio reunites next year with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Hurts. It gets me excited to see just another year of Devontae Smith and what he can do because he clearly wants to play for this organization and a show tonight. Devontae Smith is a football player, plain and simple, mm -hmm. okay? I mean, if he was on anybody else's roster, he'd be wide receiver number one, and we'd be talking about him the way we talk about A.J. Brown. Now, he brings a completely different skill set, but you yeah. can see the competitive nature to be 165 pounds to win the Heisman Trophy in, 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 in the NCAA, to be a first-round draft pick, you know, and on a team where A.J. Brown gets the majority of the, of the focus, he still come up with back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons and went out tonight and stepped his game up when everybody else around him looked like they were disinterested. Here's this 165-pound kid that's out there just giving you everything that he's got. He's been not only a, a, a game ball type of guy, but, you know, I take that guy, you know, in a dark alley any day of the week because I know with him we either coming out together or we all we both coming out together in a damn box. Devontae Smith, boy, he, he is a true baller, man, no uh, doubt about it. All right, let, let's close out this segment and this show with a discussion on what's next for the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, John McMullen doesn't share – our majority view that Nick Sirianni will be uh, will not be back as as Eagles coach. Uh, I don't know. Maybe 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 Lurie does go another year with him. I, I certainly think when you preside over a meltdown like this, you don't have the trust of anybody. 
So I would be shocked if he is back, and we'll probably see that in the next couple of days. But what is this team right now, Farsi? Where are they? You know, we, we assumed that they were going to be a perennial contender, but this kind of shot some holes in it, and I don't know what to think now. Well, one of the comforting thoughts I had after the Super Bowl loss, unfortunately, last year was that this was going to be a team that was going to be back, and they were going to be back often. They were going to be in a position to get to many Super Bowls over the next couple of years. Now they're in a situation where they're going to be looking for a new head coach. Nick Sirianni has coached his last game as a Philadelphia Eagles head coach, as far as I'm concerned. There's no way you lose a locker room. There's no way you lose games the way they did to wind down the season and expect that guy to come back and recapture the locker room, now going through a rebuild with the veterans going out. So unfortunately, I see a lot more of the same over the next couple of years here with the Philadelphia Eagles. What I'm hoping is that this huge regression by the organization trickled down to Jalen Hurts, and it wasn't just Jalen Hurts all of a sudden just being a terrible quarterback. I hope that it goes in a different direction, but I do think they're going to make a hire, a hire for the new defensive coordinator, new offensive coordinator, new head coach, and most likely that new head coach is going to be someone very similar to Nick Sirianni's background. Not a lot of experience coming to the table, but a guy that they can have a lot of control and a lot of influence over from the top down, from Jeffrey Lurie, his analytic department, to Howie Roseman, to the head coach, to the rest of that locker room. More of the same coming up for the Eagles. I really hope you're wrong because I think there's so many talented head coaches just on the table right now that you look at this Eagles team and you say, okay, there's no way they can bring these coordinators Nick Sirianni back. Not only did they coach a terrible game and coach a terrible second half of the season, clearly the players just don't want to play for them. They don't want to put their bodies on the line for them. To me, I want them to pick up a high-profile head coach. We named some names, Eric Bieniemy. Bill Belichick, don't think it's going to happen. That's what I want them to do. But in all realness, and I hate to say this because I think Jalen Hurts has a lot of talent, I think next year is going to be a rebuild year and then maybe see where you're at after that. What was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> where are they, Seth? Where are? Where is this organization right now? I think they're confused where they are right now because I don't think they ever thought that they would be in this situation. Um I understand why they do what they do because, you know, they want to control a lot more of what's going on. But I think it's been a massive mistake because the one thing you could do when you go back to Andy Reid's tenure, you know, even Ray Rose's tenure, you could look on that coaching staff and see coaches who had the ability to help players develop, help players get better, and help players mature and grow. Um, I think they need to get back to that, you know. I, I'm, I'm – I get it that, you know, Sean McVay, you know, and, and Kyle Shanahan is ushered in this era of the boy wonder, the offensive boy wonder that can come in with, you know, all of this new offensive bravado. But at the end of the day, football is still football and you still need to draft good players, you know, that are amiable to teaching and development. Um, you got to have great strategists on both sides of the ball that can situationally take things away and take advantage of different situations, you know, and I just don't see that on this staff. I don't see the confidence of the players, you know, on the staff that they believe that these coaches can put them in the proper position to win. It was evident by how this team has reacted, the words that have come out of some of the players' mouths, how they've reacted to certain situations, A.J. Brown not talking, all of these things a telltale sign that something's amiss and something's wrong. And we've been talking about it all year long. What's wrong with this football team? Why can't they get it together? Nick Sirianni, the players have been talking about, we're searching for ourselves. We're trying to get it right. We're trying to fix it. And here we are in week 19 of the season, and they just got beat by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not just beat, but beat down. And 
for the last seven weeks, they've gone completely the other way. They've lost six out of the last seven games of a, for a team who went to the Super Bowl last year, came into this, this season with a Super Bowl or bust mentality, and they've completely fallen on their faces. And the head coach, the, 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 the chief problem fixer, can't come up with a way to fix it. And for that reason, I think that they need to find another chief problem fixer and a new C CEO to run this football team. Somebody that the players can respect, that's going to bring a staff that can offer the players more than just a game plan on a week-to-week -week basis. All right, it's time to say goodbye. And, uh, you know, parting is such sweet sorrow. <laughs> I think that was Billy Shakespeare. Uh, we have to... <laughs> We have to thank everybody. Of course, the great people that were part of this panel. Seth Joyner, Kayla Santiago, Mark Farzetta, uh, and uh, John McMullen, of course, spent uh, all year with us. Dr. Bruce in the house. Our great sponsors, especially these folks here at Ocean Casino and the, the great people at Pond La Hockey, Land Rover, Villa Grove, Dry Tech, Kane Partners, DelVal, uh, Mark's Jewelers, and our friends at Sports Grid. And a special uh, thanks to uh, Rafferty Subaru for supporting uh, the Sal uh, Foundation, Good Now uh, Foundation. Uh, our producer, the great Joe Krause, and of course uh, the director Xander Krause up, uh, up there in the booth. All the great tech people that have put on this show all year long. Uh, my man Joe C., who hooks me up every week because I'm an idiot. I've only been <laughs> in this business 25 years and I still don't know how to put this stuff on. So thanks to Joe C. And uh, everybody, thanks for watching the, the show uh, all year long. We really appreciate hey, it. And uh, you, it, it's it's you, for, you forgot Alan Malamut. You forgot Joe. You Bill. You forgot D. I Gun. said Bill. D Gun. And I said Bill. There's D, a whole list. D, yeah. Gun, D Gun. I got my whole list. Okay. Alan's not part of this show, is he? Sorry, man. That's the pregame <laughs> show. That's, that was your responsibility to thank. <laughs> hey, we didn't. We I thanked him and I shook his hand. Uh, I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> Adam, Adam Malamud. You don't even know his name. No, no listen. The pregame show, we had no idea it was going to come to this. I did. I shook his hand and said, thank you. <laughs> he <laughs> predicted the future. Yes, the he predicted record. the future. Right, we didn't know the final result. <laughs> uh, thanks again, everybody. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next year with you. We hope you enjoyed what we had to say. We didn't hold back. That was the one mission we had on this show. Don't hold back. And we didn't hold back tonight. And uh, listen, we'll see what happens. You got, you got the Flyers and you got the Sixers. And then you get to Phillies, all right? So all's not lost. Have a great night, everybody. Have a great week. And uh, we'll talk to you next year. Bye-bye, everybody. Go for the polls and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. The greatest fans on earth. It's a bold statement, but would you expect anything less from Philadelphia? 58 years of heartache creates a toughness, a grit, a resolve not found in most. Sure, our prayers were answered, but now that we've had a taste, we're looking for more. Pondley Hockey, official partner of the Philadelphia Eagles.
My name is uh, Fran Salerno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. The perfect pair. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-X. Eagles. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.